Okay, we are we are in uh, Romans chapter three, and we're picking it up in Romans chapter three. I'm going to start reading from verse twenty-one. Romans chapter three, verse twenty-one. But from but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness because in the forbearance of God he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, to his righteousness for the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who who has faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since indeed God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith is one. Do we then nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. What then shall we say? That Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh is found? For if Abraham was justified by works... He has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Okay, so, in verse 21, uh, the New American Standard doesn't do a real good job of actually translating this. It says, but now apart from the law. That should actually be, but now apart from law. And remember what we went over when it says, the law... With the article there, the word the, it's speaking of the Old Testament law, the Mosaic law. When it's speaking of law without the article, Paul uses this and he uses this over and over again. He's speaking about the principle of law or the general law that, that the Gentile would respond to. When he uses the article and says the law, he is referring to the Mosaic law. So really what this should, <clears throat> what this should be, for now apart from law, or now apart from the principle of law. So this is something that was not seen through the principle of law. And what is it that was not seen? The righteousness of God has been manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So in other words, the principle of law didn't see it, but it it was prophesied through the Old Testament. It was prophesied through the law and the prophets. The law meaning the law of Moses, the first five books of the Bible, the law of Moses, the Pentateuch. And then what Jews will often talk about, they'll talk about the law and then the prophets, all the other books of the Bible. Sometimes they'll divide it into three. The law, the songs, and the prophets. The songs being like the Psalms. But <clears throat> sometimes it's just two broad distinctions here. And so you see that, that he breaks it into these and he says, these testified. It testifies of this, and it testifies of the righteousness of God that's been manifest. And what is that? Verse 22, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. 
for there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What did the law testify of? It pointed to Jesus. The Jewish scriptures point to Jesus, and that's what he's saying. And he says, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. How do you get righteousness? It is not by doing works. You can do works all day, as Orthodox Jews will do to this day. And you speak to them, and they will say, look, I wear this yarmulke, I do this, I sit... As if they're trying to somehow establish that they're good with God. And the Bible says that's not how you get good with God. It is very clear it is through faith. And it has always been through faith. It's not that it was through works then and through faith now. It has always been through faith. And that's what we're going to, what we just read that Abraham was justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Abraham was justified by faith long before the law ever came into effect. Abraham lived long before Moses wrote the law. And he was justified by faith. We are justified by faith, and in a hundred years people will be justified by faith. It doesn't matter what dispensation we're in, we are justified by faith. The focal, the focal point of, of the faith is going to be different. Abraham, What Abraham believed was not in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He believed the promises of God that were made to him. For us in this dispensation, in this age, it is all focused on Jesus, the Son of God. Everything is about Jesus. It all goes through Him. Remember, you cannot praise Jesus enough. You cannot thank Him enough for what He has done for us. The whole book, this whole thing is all about Jesus. Everything is through His Son. All mercy is through His Son. All kindness, all gifts come through the Son of God. So this says that... Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all who believe, there's no distinction. This is for the Jew, this is for the Gentile, it is for everybody. For everybody, it is faith in Jesus Christ. If you think, if Jews think that they're going to somehow get there some other way, no way. In this dispensation, where we live, it is all through Jesus. The Jew has to come around and believe in the death the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. That Jesus Christ died, he was buried for our sins, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the gospel. And then he says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. It is a gift. So grace means an undeserved gift. And he says, You're justified. The justification is as a gift through grace. The redemption which is in Christ Jesus. It is all in Christ Jesus. You see how he says it's in Jesus Christ in verse 22. In verse 24, in case you forgot, it's in Christ Jesus. He says it again. It's all in Jesus Christ. It's all because of Jesus. He says there is a righteousness up in verse 22. There is a righteousness. It does not mean that he makes us inherently righteous in the sense that everything we do is good. Because we know in and of ourselves our utter unrighteousness. He has just shown us that everybody has this struggle. This is a legal righteousness which is put upon us. It's as if a judge has said, you are not guilty. Well, many times the state will say, or the federal government will say, you're not guilty. That doesn't mean it's just saying that the state has viewed you as not guilty. Many people who commit many crimes are deemed not guilty based on what the state has said. So in other words, we 
in ourselves are not righteous, we have received a legal righteousness which is totally bound up in Jesus Christ. We receive His righteousness upon us. It is a legal thing. And that's why sometimes unbelievers and uh, new believers have struggles. And, and new believers have struggles, and their struggles are, I, I can't believe this, I'm supposed to be saved. And I still commit acts of sin. I must not be saved. No, the reason you have those struggles is because you're saved. Unbelievers don't have those struggles. All right, Unbelievers don't struggle with, am I saved, am I not saved? They don't have this struggle. It's when you're a believer, you have this struggle because you see one thing in yourself and you have, you see another thing of what the Bible claims over you. This is a judicial righteousness that has come upon you. You're not inherently righteous. It's the righteousness of Jesus that has been put over you. This cloak of His righteousness has been put over you, put over us. <clears throat> so, he says now in verse 25, whom God displayed, so <clears throat> verse 24 ends with Christ Jesus. <clears throat> verse 25 says, Whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. God displayed Jesus publicly as a propitiation. That means as a sacrifice. He displayed Jesus as a sacrifice in His blood. <clears throat> this brings me great comfort. There is going to come a time in your life where your name where your face, where people are going to say things about you because you're a believer. <clears throat> How do I know this? Because Jesus said this. Jesus said this is going to happen to Jesus, and he was displayed on the cross. I don't think any of us in this class has been displayed on the cross where their blood pouring out. He displayed his son on the cross, the ultimate of display. He put on display, he displayed him publicly, this public disgrace of being hung on a cross. Anything that I go through, <clears throat> anything that you will go through, as a testimony of your faith, is kindergarten compared to what Jesus went through. Just remember that. It's kindergarten compared to what he went through. <clears throat> Verse 26, <clears throat> For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, <clears throat> so that he would be just, and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. He justifies the one <clears throat> who has faith in Jesus. Again, he mentions Jesus. It's all around Jesus. Lest you, you missed it the other two times, <clears throat> it's all in Jesus. It's all in his Son. It's all in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Where then is boasting? It's excluded. He says, look, you can't boast anything about this. It's all in Jesus. Now, it's all in Jesus. There's no boasting. Now I want to look at this. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? <clears throat> For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So I want to pull back <clears throat> from the lesson within this text a little bit to talk about how Paul is making an argument. And this is important for all these young apologists who want to be great apologists. I want you to see the way Paul is building an argument here. <clears throat> Paul goes back to Abraham and he starts building his case based on the Old Testament scriptures. He is speaking to the church in Rome. In the church in Rome, there were some Jews still there, clearly. But it was mainly a Gentile church at this point. A lot of Gentiles in this church. 
he goes back to the Old Testament scriptures and he builds his case. <clears throat> you can see that in chapter 3, verses 10 through 18, he quotes seven passages from the book of Psalms and from the book of Isaiah to show the radical corruption that's within people. And he shows the radical corruption and that we're all lost. <clears throat> he quotes some more up in, up in uh, uh, chapter 3, verse Four, he quotes from the Old Testament. This guy quoted from the Old Testament. It was very rare for him to quote anybody other than from the Scriptures. When Paul was quoting, he was quoting from the Scriptures. He did say, in one case, he says, and your prophets have said, <clears throat> you know, all Christians are liars, and we talked about this last time, and, and they're right. <clears throat> he did that very little. <clears throat> he wasn't quoting great philosophers he was quoting the scriptures. He went right back to the scriptures. <clears throat> and the scriptures provide us with a context for counseling. They provide us with a, a context for the things that go on in people's lives. And I want to give you some examples just from this past week. So a woman co uh, contacted me and she was really distraught because her grown son is just giving her a terrible time. He's married a woman who doesn't know the Lord. And uh, 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 just just ended up, he lived with this woman, and now I think he's married to this woman who doesn't know the Lord. And he's just not following in the ways that they've taught their son. And he is, here's their only son, and so everything was kind of riding on him, and he's kind of going astray. And she was just distraught. And she says, you know, God really spoke to me, and before he was born, he told me what his name should be, and what he was going to be like, and he grew up such a fine child. And she started going through the few examples in scriptures where God spoke about the child before he was born. And she mentioned Jesus, she mentioned John the Baptist, and she mentioned Samuel. I said, you're forgetting somebody. I said, you're forgetting Samson. Samson was talked about and told his mother was told that he was going to be born. And when he was born, he turned out to be a real problem for his parents. A real problem. And so you can, you can read about Samson in, in Judges chapter 14. But let me just give you a taste of this. Then Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. So remember, he's Jewish and he sees this Philistine woman. So he came back and he told his father and mother, I saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore, get her for me as a wife. Ah. Uh, are, you know, we're, 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 we're Jewish, you know? And so his father says, then his father and his mother said to him, is there not, is there no woman among the daughters of your relatives or among our people that you go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she looks good to me. <clears throat> How do you think that made his parents feel? Alright, so for all of you that are young, that are putting your parents through this, it makes them not feel good. For all of you who are parents and you've seen your kids take you through this, you know this doesn't feel good. So Samson gave his parents a terrible time. Constantly. He was, he was, and the women destroyed his life. Just destroyed his life. But on the last day of his life, he accomplished more on the last day of his life than he did all the days of his life combined, the scriptures say. He did. And he came back to the Lord and God empowered him for what he needed to do. And so I urged this woman not to just focus on these other ones. And I took her back to the story of the prodigal son. The story of the prodigal son 
is, is actually in, in uh, Luke chapter 15, verse, it starts at verse 11. But I'm not, we're not going to look there. But what I want you to think about, and I told her, I was just going back to the scriptures. I went back to Samson. And then I, I went back and I said, you know, with the prodigal son, this son took the rich, took his inheritance, said to his father, give me my inheritance. Uh, inheritances are given when I'm dead. And so to say that to his father was like saying, you can just drop dead. Give me my inheritance. He got his inheritance. You know, he went off. He squandered it. When he came back, the things that he said to his father, he didn't say, look, I'm really sorry for what I've done. I don't deserve anything. He says, make me like one of your hired servants. Uh, why should I make you like one of my hired servants? My hired servants had it pretty good. His father could have said, here's all the things you did wrong. Here's all the things I gave you when you were growing up. But no, his father saw him from a long way off, ran to met him, hugged him, kissed him, and said, we're having a party. I said to this woman, I don't want you to tell your son anymore all the things you've done for him growing up. I don't want you to put a list before him of all the things he's done wrong. I want you to just love him. And to just say to him, no matter what, you will always be my son and you are always welcome back. And the reason I tell you that is I read an article... I don't know, it must have been like 10 years ago, where they tracked people who had wandered from the faith. They tracked them 25 years out. Some people wandered and came back to their family, came back to faith. Others never came back. You know what the difference was? So they interviewed these people. Why didn't you ever come back? People didn't come back because their families put upon them ultimatums. If you change this, this, this in your life, you're welcome back. You don't change that, we don't want you. The ones who came back, the families were very open. We welcome you back no matter what. They came and they ended up coming back to the family, coming back to the faith. And so I was instructing her, how do I know all this? I read it in the Bible. It's, it's there in the prodigal son story. Paul used the Bible as his context for setting this thing up. He quotes like 60 times from the Old Testament in the book of Romans, over and over again. He takes the example of Abraham and he uses this to build the context for his argument of Abraham being saved by faith and not works. Using the scriptures as our proof text in discussion works. Using the scriptures to guide our life really works. This is why we have to know the Word of God. <clears throat> let's, let's look at some other examples here. So we'll, we'll look, we'll look at, uh, uh, other examples of, of, um, of stories that have gone on. I'll give you an example from my own life. So when I was leaving, I, I got saved as an undergraduate. I got involved with a local church and that was just like my family. I loved it. Before, <clears throat> before I had to leave for graduate school, I, uh, I knew that finding a, an, a good local church was really important. So I was praying, Lord, lead me to the right local church. This is really important in my life. <clears throat> and I got a, a copy of the newspaper from my graduate school was sent to the incoming graduate students in the middle of the summer. And I remember seeing one ad on there from a church, and it said, Upper Room Christian Fellowship, come worship with us. And for some reason, that just stuck in my mind. <clears throat> so I ended up going to graduate school, and then I took the rental car back to the, the, the campus had an airport and I returned the rental car there and I was walking back to the graduate dorm. Uh, and this was a Sunday because I drove in on a Saturday night, I returned the car on a Sunday and I was walking back to the campus and I passed this one church and it said, it said, uh, um, Upper Room Christian Fellowship, come worship with us. 
I said, this is the one that cut me. So I went in there. It was a very different kind of church. So I had come from a Bible church, and this was a charismatic church. <clears throat> I had never been taught that charismatics, that, that Bible church people shouldn't mix with charismatic people. I was never taught that. <clears throat> so I went in there. And I'll tell you, the music was a whole lot better than in the Bible church. <clears throat> and... and uh, um, and things were different, and I and and you know I heard this little chitter chatter around me that I I didn't understand, but it was different. And then the next week I was praying, and I said, Lord, I don't know where to go to church, but unless you make it clear to me today that I'm to go back to that church, I'll start trying another church. And I started reading where I'd left off in the scriptures the week before, and I was reading in Luke chapter 22, verse 12, and I just asked God to speak to me. What does it say in Luke chapter 22? Jesus said, Go, and a man will show you an upper room, and there you shall have the Passover feast. Now, this was the exact word. The way I had been instructed in the Bible church is this. When God speaks to you like this from the Scriptures, His peace will come upon you if this is of God. And it was as if the peace of God just filled that room. And I had total peace. And I went back to that church. And then... A few weeks later, I told my Bible church pastor back where I was an undergrad, I said, you know, I started going to this church. and He says, oh, this sounds like a charismatic church. He says, Jim, you probably should go to another place. I said, this is what happened to me. I was praying that morning. This is the verse that I read. And this is the what came upon me. He says, you better stay at that church. Because he was the one who taught me how to hear God through the scriptures. That church blessed me so much, so much. And so, so, uh, uh, this is, it's not a thus saith the Lord type of thing. You always need checks along with you. But this is how God primarily speaks to us through the scriptures. So, so, uh, uh, there, there's, there's a, a, another verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 17. It says, now where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. When God is speaking to you through the scriptures, just as this peace, amazing peace comes. Where the Spirit of the Lord, there is liberty. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There's another verse, an interesting verse in the Old Testament, in the law. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 4, You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. Okay, so you figure out, okay, so that's... And that makes sense. You know, the, an ox while it's threshing... At least let him, you know, reach on over and take a, you know, a, a, a mouthful of, of, of oats every now and then into his mouth and, and be able to do this. Well, then you go to the New Testament and Paul is giving instructions and he's giving instructions that the person who ministers to you the gospel is worthy to be paid with money, with material things. Now, I'm not asking for myself. This is all volunteer. I get paid at the university. They take care of me. So I'm not asking for money. But people who do this full time, it's okay to pay them. So what he says in verse 8 of Second Corinthians, of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, he says, I'm not speaking these things according to human judgment. Am I? Or does not the law also say these things? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. God is not concerned about oxen, is he? Or is he speaking altogether for our sake? Yes, for our sake it is written, because the plowman ought to plow in hope, and the thresher to thresh in hope of sharing the crops. If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? So he's he's telling people, you know, you, you need to pay your pastor. 
This is what he's instructing them. He says, God wrote this. He says, he's not that concerned for oxen. He says he wrote this for a purpose. So God, so what Paul does is he takes a scripture that you might, might say, Paul, come on now. That is so out of context. Paul says, look, it was written for this. <clears throat> More for this than for the ox. Did you know that? This is Paul speaking, you know, so we can't argue with the guy. This is not just some professor in a Bible college. And then in 1 Timothy, he quotes the same thing. He says, <clears throat> The scriptures say, you shall not, mu-, this is in 1st Timothy chapter 5 verse 18. You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. Then he says, the laborer is worthy of his wages. So you see how you can take a passage from scripture and it guides your life. The scriptures are a guide for our life. The scriptures are the things that set for us the whole argument. So for you young theologians who want to be great apologists, remember this. It is all around the scriptures. I urge you to know the scriptures. I know you read lots of works and lots of famous people and lots of intellectuals. Make this word your source. Make this word, just bathe in this word of God. And you will never be without, you'll never be without what you need. The gospel writers, they understood things, they understood events in the context <clears throat> of things that were happening. And, and this caused them to understand. So they would, they would say things like, uh, um, uh, they would see Jesus do certain things and it would seem strange to them. But then when they were writing and penning these words, the scriptures would come back to them. And so for example, in John chapter 12, verse uh, 39, it says, for this reason they could not believe, for Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes. He has hardened their hearts so that they would not see and their eyes and with their eyes and he's pierced their heart and be their eyes and pierced with their heart and be converted and I heal them. So in other words, they didn't understand until they saw it in the context of what Isaiah wrote. Oh, what Jesus just did, that just fulfilled what the prophet Isaiah did. This is why when you read about Jesus, sometimes you wonder, why, why did he do this? Why was he acting like this? You see, this, this is exactly what was, what was prophesied. And you understand why Jesus did the things that he did. Jesus himself comforted himself through the scriptures. So Jesus was just getting pummeled by the Pharisees. You think Jesus was like, no problem. Bring it on. You want a piece of me? No, Jesus, Jesus didn't do that. In verse 25 of John chapter 15, it says this, But they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Jesus said, this has been prophesied. It had to happen this way. It was prophesied that they would hate me without a cause. You see, Jesus encouraged himself. In the scriptures, he knew the Old Testament, so he was able to encourage himself in this. <clears throat> and so then, that's why in John chapter 15, verse 18, this is what Jesus said. He said in John chapter 15, verse 18, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept, if they kept my word, they will keep yours also. 
I read this and it gives me great comfort. So when things come against me, when people say things and write things about me, I read this. Jesus said, it's just like I told you. This is how I know I'm walking with Jesus. Because Jesus said this would happen to me when I walk with him. So then I'm comforted. When you know the scriptures, it can bring you great comfort. The scriptures are our comfort. They bring us comfort. Jesus strengthened himself in the scriptures. These were his life. The scriptures are our life. Paul used it as his argument. The whole thing was fashioned around his argument. Jesus did this. And then they understood what was happening on the cross. They saw Jesus. They saw his, his, his clothes being, 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 being uh, 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 whatever belongs he had being divided up. But then the undergarment that had to be... And they said, this is exactly what was prophesied. They, they saw these things <clears throat> happening on the cross and then they understood it based on what the scriptures say. Jesus himself used it when he was battling Satan in, in Matthew chapter 4. Satan came at him, Jesus said, it is written, man does not live by bread alone. Jesus used the word of God to battle the enemy. When we understand the word of God, we have great capacity to battle the enemy. You know what the devil did the first time? He used the scriptures back against Jesus. He quoted. Satan quoted from the book of Psalms. But he stopped right before the next verse that says, and he will tread upon the lion and the cobra. The young lion and the cobra he will trample down. Satan didn't quote that one. But so, so he very selectively quoted. And Jesus came right back at him with another quote. And then with another quote. He used the word of God to battle the enemy. When you know the word of God, you can use it to battle the enemy. Jesus used it over and over again as a springboard for the gospel. In, in Matthew chapter 5, he did it over and over again in Matthew chapter 5. He said, you have heard the ancients say, you shall not commit murder. But I say to you... Uh, 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 whoever, but, but I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. You see, so he said, and you have heard it said, boom. And he'd say, he'd quote their law. And then he'd use it as a springboard. If you need teaching material from the word of God, boom, it is there. This is, this is so rich. Remember, it's an embarrassment of riches, the word of God. <clears throat> he used this as a springboard for the gospel. It was all around the word of God. You understand things in the context of the word of God. Paul used it. He said, Abraham lived by faith. And he's going to take us now through the life of Abraham over and over again. He's going to take us through the life of Abraham. And then they're going to say, well, Abraham lived before the law. And then he, boom, he takes them to David. David lived 400 years before, after the established, 350 years after the establishment of the law. Well into the law. And David said, the righteous man shall live by faith. Over and over again. Ladies, gentlemen, I urge you, make this book your meditation. You should be as familiar with this as, as the mariner with his ship, as the chemist with, with her flasks. I mean, you should really be familiar with this book. You will be so much stronger. You know, there, there's this old saying, fear the man of one book. Meaning that if a man really knows the Bible, fear him. I mean, because he will be able to dice up any argument that's put to him. When you know the word of God, because it comes with such power, because remember who wrote this book. This book was actually written by God. 
Every word in this book is by God. And if you've gotten convinced otherwise because of your little, silly, little higher criticisms, you're wrong. You're just wrong. And I'll tell you right up front, you're wrong. Because I believe the words of Jesus. Jesus stood behind this word. Jesus spoke these words. And these are the words of God himself. And when you come with that level of confidence, one woman called me, I don't know, she contacted me frantically about three weeks ago. She had been listening to, uh, um, I forget what the, the, Sam, Sam Harris, some atheist. And, and she said, he said this and this and this and this. As soon as I got on the Zoom call with her, she, she lived in, in, uh, in Canada. She said, Sam Harris said this and this. I said, Sam Harris is wrong. Then I went on to other things and other things. She said, when you first got on the Zoom call and you said to me, Sam Harris is wrong, that was it. <clears throat> That's all I needed. I'm all better now. <clears throat> I was on a Zoom call with a guy yesterday in Greece, a young guy that <clears throat> that had heard Elon Musk say, we're living in a virtual reality, you know, we're all a computer world, and this isn't really happening, we're just, you know, some computer's game. That's what we're living in. And he was so confused. And I got on and I said... Elon Musk is wrong. Boom! Just like that. Because I know the Word of God. <clears throat> if you love this Word, and you know it. And, he, and he, how, how could you know this? Because Jesus said, I know who has sent me, and he is trustworthy. In John 8.26, I know who has sent me, and he is trustworthy. And that's why I believe the words of Jesus. I know Jesus, and he is trustworthy. It's because of Him. It's because of Him. This book is powerful. This is why Paul quotes this book over and over again. He doesn't quote Kant. He doesn't quote Russell. He doesn't quote all of these famous people. He doesn't quote William Lane Craig. Paul is quoting the Old Testament. He is quoting the words, the Word of God. Gentile and Jew alike had respect for that word, and that deflated all arguments against him. I urge you to know this book. Know this book. Make this your daily meditation. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. You are great in every way. We are justified in Jesus. We are justified in him and in him only. Thank you, Lord, that our righteousness comes through you. Thank you, Lord, that the righteousness is in Jesus Christ, the very Son of God. And thank you that his words come with the ultimate of power. He is the creator of the universe. Everything has formed because of his word. The whole universe conforms to the word of Jesus Christ. And thank you, Lord, that we have a whole book of your words. That this is the argument that goes forth and we can silence all arguments with this book. The power behind this book is so strong. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God, for the examples over and over again. This is a springboard for the gospel. This is our text for our teachings. This is our encouragement in our times of pain. Lord, there are people in this class today that are so discouraged and wonder about even going on in life. Father, strengthen them through your word. Strengthen them through your word. Father, be a strength to them. 
Jesus said, Come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I am gentle and humble in heart, and my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Father, for those who are heavy laden in this class, just so much is coming upon them that they are despairing even of life, as Paul said. Father, I pray that they would do as Jesus said, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, come unto me and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Father, I pray that they would come to you this very day and be refreshed and find rest for their soul. For your yoke, your yoke, Lord, is easy and your burden is light, that you would lighten their burden this day. Father, for unbelievers, I pray, Lord, that their souls would be saved because only in Jesus and in his righteousness that they would get saved. And Father, I commit this to you for your grace and for your mercies. In the name of Jesus, amen.